You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. This world is full of discontent and anger and division. But there is one relationship that can give you hope. The problem is it's a hard relationship to comprehend. It's a hard relationship even to believe in. But it's a pure relationship. And it's a relationship within which three individuals thrive. And if you can begin to comprehend it and begin to understand what it means, then you can thrive too. And we call this relationship the Trinity. It's what makes up God. And by studying the Trinity, we can learn to live in unity. We can learn to live in peace because this relationship is a role model to follow. This relationship has within it incredible power. And each person within the Trinity plays a specific and amazing role. So this is what the Trinity is. This is what we're going to unpack. It's three persons, yet one God. Now again, the Trinity is very difficult to get our minds around because it goes beyond our human thinking. And there have been several analogies that have been thrown out there over the years trying to explain it. There's the, the egg analogy, you know, where you have the shell and the white and the yolk all making up the egg. You can look at a tree and you can see that it has roots and it has bark and it has branches all making up the tree. And you can even look at a water bottle like this. And this obviously is in liquid form now, but it can be ice, it can be steam, but it's still all water. All in an attempt to try to figure out this thing that is three individuals making up the Godhead. The problem is each of those analogies fall far short because each of those elements are not equal in essence. They aren't in a relationship with each other. And so the Trinity is something that needs to be unpacked biblically to try to get our minds around because it truly is three individuals that make up one God. So let's define the Trinity, and let's see if we can start there. Here is a definition that we can begin with, that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. And this is where it becomes mind-bending, because you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, but yet... We just have one God. But this is so worth digging into because it has incredible ramifications to our lives. So let's look at a well-known text that can help us understand what this relationship is like and how important it is. And it's Matthew 28, 19 through 20. So if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, a tablet nearby, grab it and follow along with me. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And this, of course, is the text where Jesus is about to ascend to the Father, and he gives the church its mission. Its mission is to make disciples. But then, in the midst of that process, the church is to baptize those who are disciples 
in the name of the Trinity. So let's read the text together. This is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there it is. Go therefore and make disciples and do it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three unique persons that make up one God. Now, we're in an amazing series. It's called Who is God? And here's where we are so far. We've talked about the fact that God is unchangeable. He's faithful. He's eternal. He's holy. God is everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's self-sufficient. God is sovereign. God is merciful. And now we talk about the Trinity. And next week we finish the series by talking about God the Redeemer and that your Redeemer lives. But this whole idea of the Trinity, this idea of three persons, yet one God, is the first thing we're going to unpack. And the first truth I want to give you is this. The doctrine of the Trinity is found in both the New and Old Testaments. This is a biblical doctrine. And it's all throughout the Bible. And in the particular passage that we just read together, you have this idea of baptism. And Jesus is clearly articulating the fact that there are three individual persons that are involved in this disciple-making process and baptizing believers. Now, Baptists, which we are at Ridgewood Church, hold that we baptized people by immersion into water. And the meaning of the word, the word baptizo in the original Greek language is essentially just to dip or to immerse. And so we believe that immersion is historically practiced by believers and that it best symbolizes this idea of being buried and then raised with Christ. Now, the wording here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is important because it not only delineates the individuals that make up the Godhead, but it also amplifies the oneness that exists in that relationship. It's also an expression of a believer being baptized into a covenant relationship, not with three individuals, not just with the Father, just with the Son, or just with the Holy Spirit, but with one God. And all of these individuals make up one God. Three persons, yet one God. Now, throughout the Bible, we find this concept. Interestingly enough, the term Trinity is never used in the Bible. But still, it's everywhere. For example, in the Old Testament, in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so there's a plural there. There's more than one person interacting. In fact, all three members of the Trinity are there at creation. In Isaiah 63.10, the text tells us that God's people rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. 
And then there are many other passages, such as Isaiah 63, which talks about God's Son and the suffering of Jesus. All of that is in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's a whole other group of verses and passages that talk about the Trinity, a larger group, in fact. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all in every one. So Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, and it's each member of the Trinity that is involved with making spiritual gifts help the body and to work. In Acts 5, there's a really interesting little passage where this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, had the bright idea to sell land, bring it to the apostles, and then lie to the apostles about how much they received for the land so they could give less money. Now, it didn't work very well, and so we see in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, they run into Peter. And he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, it did not remain your own. Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And here's where we see the Trinity. We see here that there is lying happening to Holy Spirit, and then here Peter tells this couple that you've not lied to man, but to God. So the Holy Spirit clearly here is God. So this is the doctrine of three persons, yet one God. And you really don't need to totally understand it or totally comprehend it to be enriched by it. Because frankly, it's beyond our human understanding. But it's important to grapple with because it defines God. It is what makes up God. And as we're asking that question, who is God? You can't go past that without talking about how he is three in one. And in just a moment, we'll see how that enriches our lives so much. So it's a biblical doctrine. The Old and New Testament talk much about the Trinity. And in order to stay away from theological error, it's very important to embrace this second point, And that is this. The doctrine of the Trinity affirms that each person within the Trinity is an individual with a unique personality and role, yet fully God. So hence the difficulty to try to comprehend. You have individuals that have unique personalities, they have unique roles, yet they are each fully God. It's not one who's God and others that are not. And the thing that makes the Trinity so interesting is that this is the person we pray to, God, but yet the person is three people. Three persons, not people, persons. But here's where you can get into heretical error. And this, a lot of believers fall into this. There is a, 
a heresy out there called modalism. And modalism puts forth this idea that there aren't really three different persons, but God simply takes the form of Jesus or takes the form of the Holy Spirit or takes the form of the Father depending on what function is happening. And we, we can very easily fall into that. Even the language we use, we have to be careful of because sometimes we say that, you know, God came and died on the cross, which is true, but really it was Jesus as a person that came and died on the cross, the God-man. But here's where this all falls apart. Not only is this modalism idea heretical, but it doesn't work logically. For example, Jesus here in the passage we read is ascending to the Father. If we believe modalism and he was just a, a form that God took, well, where did he go? Where is he now? The Bible is very clear that Jesus is our high priest. He's at the right hand of God. And when it comes to atonement, this really falls apart because you, if you have just a form of God who went to the cross, you don't have the God-man. You don't have the individual that is representing the human race. You don't have the second Adam. And so be really careful when you're looking for a church or when you're studying or reading that this idea of modalism doesn't creep into the picture because it's an attempt to explain away a very difficult doctrine. The Trinity is very clear. Three individuals that are fully God. And so let's unpack that just a little bit. And this idea here of each individual being fully God is really, really essential that we believe because not only are they different in roles and personalities, they are not different in essence. They are the same in essence. By their very essence, they are all God. And thus, each one of these amazing persons is worthy of our praise, is worthy of our worship. And, and that's, what, that's what Peter was saying to Ananias and Sapphira. Why, why are you lying to, Holy, to the Holy Spirit? You're lying to God. And so we can worship each person in the Trinity. And I think that's an amazing thing. We can pray to each person in the Trinity because they're all equal. They're all essence, in, or essence God. But it's also very important to note that each person within the Trinity has a unique role. They aren't all kind of this generic vanilla. They all are doing something as part of being God. And so it works like this. The Father, okay? The Father is the supreme authority amongst the persons in the Godhead. He's responsible for devising plans of redemption. He's responsible for devising the plan of creation. And the Apostle Paul, speaking of the Father, says this. He said in Ephesians 1, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the Father. That's the Father devising this creation, devising redemption, and then putting it in motion. And then we have Jesus. 
Now, Jesus is under the Father's authority. And Jesus always seeks to do the Father's will. Jesus was always about glorifying his Father during his earthly ministry. And so you have this person who is fully God, but nonetheless takes his lead from the Father and desires to glorify the Father. John writes about this a lot. In John 8, 28 and 29, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so there very clearly are two different persons that are interacting with each other, and Jesus clearly taking his lead from the Father. Jesus is eternally submissive to the Father. He just didn't become submissive in order to fulfill his ministry. It's always been that way. That's the way the relationship is. Yet, we know that Jesus is also the powerful king of the universe. In John 8, 58, he he proclaimed that he is Yahweh. Before Abraham was, I am. And you think, how can that be? You just said that he, he takes his lead from the Father, and then you just said that he's Yahweh. Right, that's why this is so hard to understand and comprehend. And so many times in Scripture, there's tension, and we are just called to believe. And I believe the Trinity is one of those doctrines that we, we want to grapple with it, we want to try to understand it, but at the end of the day, we simply believe. And then probably the least talked about, and may I say the least understood, member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is under both the Father and the Son. And as the Son sought to glorify the Father in all he did, the Spirit seeks to glorify the Son. The Spirit seeks to lead believers to Christ. The Spirit's job is to glorify Christ. And we see this in John 16, 13 and 14. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and declare it to you. And so be careful when you, when you run into a church that is only talking about the Holy Spirit all of the time. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to point you to Christ. It is to glorify Christ. It is to impart wisdom to you and wise counsel to you. And that always ends up at the feet of Christ. And so it's really important that we understand how each of these persons interact. They are all individuals, yet each is fully God. They are equal in essence. They are worthy of our worship. They are worthy of our praise. And the Bible speaks a lot about it. It's a biblical doctrine. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why does this matter? Because I'm a Christian, 
I love Jesus, I pray, and this seems really theoretical, it seems kind of abstract, conceptual, but it's really not. It's really, really important, and here's why. First, understanding the Trinity helps you to worship in spirit and in truth. And we are commanded to do that in John 4, 24. We are to worship in spirit and truth. We are to know the God that we are worshiping. That's why it's really important that we don't fall into traps like Islam is worshiping a God that we believe in because the, their, their idea of God's different and, and we go by the biblical view of God. So in order to really come before God with an awestruck heart that seeks to worship Him, we worship in spirit of, and truth. And that means that we understand this Trinity and what it really is. Secondly, understanding the Trinity enhances your prayer life. And I think this is really important to understand because the, the doctrine of the Trinity has very significant effects on how believers pray. The general pattern in the Bible is to pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2.18, the Apostle Paul tells us, For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And so each members of the Trinity, each person that makes up the Godhead is involved with prayer. And our fellowship can be enhanced with God by understanding the triune nature of his makeup. And it can especially serve to comfort you to know that all of these amazing persons are working on your behalf. Biblically, we know that the Spirit during prayer is uttering words that we can't find. He's groaning when we can't pray. And so he is, he is an incredible advocate in prayer. And then you have Jesus who is mediating and is our high priest and is, is, is passing our prayers along, it seems, to the Father. And you have this mediator and they're all involved with prayer. And then what I find to be really amazing about this is that you can pray to each person. And I find that to be really enriching and really personal. And sometimes I, I get caught in this trap. I grew up, you know, in a Baptist church. And, and so sometimes we have this trap of, you know, Father, um, allow the Holy Spirit to work. Or, um, and, and we almost talk about him as a, kind of this third wheel over here. No, the Holy Spirit is also worthy of our praise and worship because he is equal in essence to the Father into the sun. So it really enhances our prayer life. It helps us to worship in spirit and truth. And finally, embracing the Trinity can cause you to live in awe of God. And, and, and this is what we all want, right? God is comprised of three distinct, powerful, and wonderful persons who are full of personality. And you have a relationship with this God, the king of the universe, and, and yet he's made up of three persons and one God. Now, you may never, you may never understand this doctrine. Louis Burkhoff is a brainiac theologian who basically is a reformed 
theological giant. And here's what he says. The Trinity is a mystery. Man cannot comprehend it and make it intelligible. And so if Louis Burkhoff sees the Trinity as something that is just going to keep eluding you, then again, we must just accept it as truth and then worship in that truth. And we, and we can grasp some of it at least. And that's where those analogies I mentioned earlier, the egg, the tree, water, those things at least help get us started. Because here the, here's the thing, this, this is really important because the world right now is full of incredible division. And the Trinity is a picture of perfect unity. You have three individual persons that have coexisted in the Godhead for all of eternity and will exist in the Godhead for all of eternity, though the relationship hasn't changed, but the dynamics have somewhat because Jesus has taken on a human body. I'll add one more mind-blowing element to this. But he's still a member of the Trinity. But they're, but they're a perfect picture of unity, yet different roles. So, for example, this is important because each person in the church has a different role to play, but each is equally important in God's sight. In the home, the husband, the wife, and the children all have unique roles to play. Each is equally important to God because this relationship in the Trinity bears that out. And so I think this is an amazing doctrine. And it is a model for us to follow. It is full of power. And to understand it can transform you. It can, it can transform your prayer life. It can transform how you see God. You can understand God in truth. And if you want to just sum it all up to one simple phrase, to remind yourself what the Trinity really is, it's simply three persons, yet one God. And I'm really thankful for that truth. Let me pray. God, I am so thankful that we come to you with a difficult doctrine that as human beings, we just struggle so much to comprehend and understand, but yet we can get a glimpse of the majesty of it and the glory of it. And, and we're thankful that there, there is each of you, Father and, and Son and Holy Spirit, that are acting on our behalf, are involved with our prayer life, are involved with our protection, are involved with our sanctification, our salvation. Each person with a role to play. The Holy Spirit, you are sealing us for the day of redemption. Jesus, you're the one who atoned for our sin. Father, you're the one who conceived of this redemptive plan. And so we can come to you and we can, in awe, go to our knees and worship. So thank you for this amazing doctrine. And thank you that it sets you apart from any other religious leader, or any other so-called God. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.